For those that don't know me, John Knack is my name. I say like a knick-knack, and that way you won't forget as easily. But uh, my wife and I joined the congregation here about four years ago. I'm a retired pastor, served 36 years, and uh, God's given me the privilege of being able to do that. And I love being a part of this congregation. You are our family. We enjoy being a part of it, and I appreciate the privilege of coming here. Uh, please join me. I'll ask a blessing on the message this morning. Father in heaven, almighty God, we lifted up your name in prayer and praise already this morning. We know, Father, that you are the way maker. You're the promise keeper. You're the one that holds us up. You're working when we don't even see it, and you hold us in your loving hands. We praise and thank you for all of that. I ask that you would speak through your word, Father, that you recorded hundreds of years ago, but it was recorded for us at any time because it emanates from your heart, soul, and mind. We thank you and we ask and pray your blessing in Jesus' holy and righteous name. Amen. Last week, Pastor Jerome spoke from John 15 as he said one of his favorite parts of Scripture, so I did not want to jump in there and uh, take the second part because he said it was one of his favorite places, and he didn't give me much time to prepare for this anyway. So I hope that what I do today will be a segue, a connection directly from what he spoke on, and then next week he can pick up from there, and hopefully it will blend together as you see. By the way, today, happy birthday to all of you. We don't always highlight this day as much in the church calendar, but today is Pentecost. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It means the church gets to celebrate again the fact that what we sang this morning, that we now have been empowered to do something. And I often think about that, that first gathering after Christ's resurrection and the church was gathered together. Here, are, here is a group of people that were meek and fearful and doubting and questioning and asking Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? They were unsure of what their future looked like, of what might happen. And all of a sudden, after Pentecost, the church was empowered and it was ready to fire up and go because they had been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which we have. And it lives in us. And that's why Jerome last week was speaking of, Jesus said, I am the vine. You're the branches. Without me, good old King James, apart from me, you can do nothing. And all of us at times wonder, God, why did you call me? What do you have for me to do? I'm not worth a whole lot. Oh, you're worth so much that the Son of God gave his life for you and me. That's how important we are. And I want to talk about that a little bit today. First part of my sermon, forgive me, I'm going to plagiarize here. Uh, I'm going to use a devotion I read many years ago, and it was very powerful to me. It spoke to me about what happens when we are faced with struggles, difficulties, things that don't quite go as expected. Reverend C.A. Fox said, life's disappointments are veiled love's appointments. But it doesn't always feel like love when it happens. We know that. Now, I'm sure today there's no one in here that's struggling with anything. 
You came today to sing, rejoice, be happy. Uh, you've left all your problems out the door, maybe at home. And everything's great, isn't it? Except maybe there's something tugging at your heart. Maybe there's something you've been wrestling with God over for months. And there are times that you argue with him. Yeah, you do. Admit it. Go ahead. You know what? You can't argue with God. I believe the, the scriptures are very clear. David, a man after God's own heart, argued with God. He did. He said, God, this isn't fair. Why are you allowing this? Why are you doing this? And yet always, virtually every time in the Psalms, at the end of the Psalm, David comes to see not his perspective, but God's perspective. And that's because God, we just sang it, is always working, even when we don't see it. This uh, devotion ended up starting with this statement. This is a quote from what God said to his people at one place in his life. You can put that scripture up there if you'd like. Uh, this thing is from me. That's the last part of that statement. Israel was struggling. God was going to give them something that they didn't quite see the victory at the beginning. The victory would come at the end, obviously, because that's the way God works so often. But they didn't see it yet at first. And God said, that's okay. You know what? This thing is from me. I'm going to stop here and just clarify something. We all have verses in the Bible that are our favorites. We love them. They speak to us. God brought us through a very difficult time, and it's always a reminder of God's faithfulness and how he will answer whatever we're dealing with. But sometimes we try to make it a universal application for everybody all the time, and we're not being honest with that. Because sometimes God's promise is individual for an individual event at an individual time. But yet, ultimately, what underlies everything that God says is that's what he does, will do, and is doing in your life and in mine. And when we get to that point where we're not sure and we ask, and it's okay to ask, it's okay to argue, it's okay to debate with God sometimes, as long as we come to that point that we say, but Father, I don't understand. Will you please show me? Will you please Help me understand what's going on. I hope I will make a little bit of that clearer today. I'm going to read a couple sections, a few paragraphs from this devotion by Reverend Fox. He's taking it from God's perspective as he's reading this, excuse me, as he's writing this to us. He says, my child, God speaking to us, I have a message for you today. Let me whisper it in your ear that it may gild with glory any storm clouds which may arise and smooth the rough places upon which you may have to tread. It is short, it's only five words, but let them sink into your inmost soul. Use them as a pillow upon which to rest your weary head. This thing is from me. One of the first things we question oftentimes, don't we, is wait a minute. If God's on his throne, if God really loves me, why would he allow this to happen? Ah, yes. From our perspective, it doesn't always make sense, does it? But yet, here's a loving father, a loving God, who loved us so much that he gave his son to die for us, to purchase us, to redeem us, to make him his sons and daughters for all of eternity. And we turn around and say, but God, you're not doing it right here. Let me show you. 
No, no, because God is walking us through something, isn't he? Back to his devotion. Have you ever thought of it that all of that concerns you, concerns our heavenly father as well? For he that touches you touches the apple of mine eye. You can take note of that. I put that in my notes, Zechariah 2 and verse 8. Wonderfully, God says, if it touches you, it impacts me. Because I love you so much, I call you the apple of my eye. Does that not make you feel warm and fuzzy all over? God loves you that much that he's going to take care of those things, even when it doesn't feel that way. Isaiah chapter 43. You are very precious in my sight, Isaiah says. One of God's prophets called out to each one of us that we're so special to God, that he loves us, that we are precious in his sight. And I love the fact that he says that right after he clarifies for us in verse 2, that he has redeemed us. He has redeemed us. That's Pentecost. It's the day the Holy Spirit was poured out. And the, the church was empowered. Reverend Fox, I would have you learn, speaking from God's perspective, when temptations assail you and the enemy comes in like a flood, that this thing is from me. That your weakness needs my might and your safety lies in letting me fight for you. Back to what Jesus said, John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Oh, yes, we will all go through those times where we think God expects more of us and we're going to get in there and we're going to be good for the struggle. We're going to fight. We're going to do our part. And yet we feel like we're being beaten and we're falling behind and we wonder where's God's help. And God is always in those situations, I believe, saying, okay, are you ready to let me help you now? Do you really need my help? We have this mentality sometimes that we have to fight harder, work harder, do more on our part. And yet there's something, and we'll get to it near the end, that if God says if we truly trust him and turn it over to him, something powerful, amazing, and mighty will happen because we're the branches connected to the vine. Back to the devotion. Are you in difficult circumstances, surrounded by people who do not understand you, who never consult your taste, who put you in the background? This thing is from me. I am the God of circumstances. Thou camest not to thy place by accident. It is the very place God meant for thee. Have you not asked to be made humble? See then, I have placed you in the very school where this lesson is taught, your surroundings and companions are only working out my will. But again, it's a change in perspective that we recognize that God is working on our behalf. He's working in our life because he's preparing us for an eternal place. And yet, we all get frustrated at times. We're all struggling with why is this happening? Why is it happening here? Why is it happening now? I didn't expect this. Anybody here have something that was rather unexpected this last year? Oh, yeah, a lot of us. Uh, 
we could all probably come up with a list of things we didn't expect, anticipate, and yet God was there through it all. Back to the devotion. Are you in money difficulties? Ah, no, not me. Oh, wait, maybe there have been a few times. Is it hard to make ends meet sometimes? God says to us, this thing is from me. Because I, God speaking to us, am your purse bearer and would have you draw from and depend upon me because Philippians 4.19, my supplies are endless. And boy, whenever things are going well, we thank God, we praise him, we say, boy, it's nice to look at the checkbook and we say, that's great. But when something unexpected happens and we're now being tested somewhat, we say, we go back to, is God going to provide? Oh, yes, because he says he will. Remember in the sower and the seed, the parable he gave, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you because he'll take care of our needs. Everything we need. Last paragraph of the devotion. Are you passing through a night of sorrow? We don't want to face that. None of us is prepared for it fully. We think we are. When it happens, this thing is from me. We'll read a verse in a few minutes. God doesn't cause everything to happen, but God is there when everything happens because he loves us so much he will care for us. God speaking to us, I am the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's a verse in the Bible that Jesus said spoke of him. He knows about sorrow. He knows about grief. I have let God speaking now to us, earthly comforters fail you. That by turning to me, you, obtain, you may obtain everlasting consolation. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Ultimately, only God can give us the courage, the encouragement, the comfort, and the strength that we may need. Have you longed, last sentence, have you longed to do some great work for me and instead have been laid aside on a bed of pain and weakness? Even this, ultimately, God says, is from me. In a parenthetical thought, he says, God speaking to us, I tried to get your attention, but I could not in your busy days. And I want to teach you some of my deepest lessons. They also serve who only stand and wait. The Bible tells us many things. The New Testament, a reflection of God's heart that was given to us through Jesus Christ. We look at the Old Testament, it tends to be almost punitive. It seems to be demanding. We see God, many people have said, almost as angry and vindictive. And yet all of that said that God was going to rescue us, that God was going to take care of us. But God didn't call us to a life uh, uh, in this world, in this life of total satisfaction, did he? Because all of us have regrets or things we wish 
we could have done better or done differently. In fact, too often, I believe, we tend to look back and think, oh, I wish I would have done that better. We can't go back and undo that, can we? But we can start from this day looking forward and say, but I can do it differently going forward. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, I am not saying this out of need, for I have learned, second part of that verse is the important part, I have learned to be content regardless of my circumstances, no matter my state. That's the old King James. And I, I, I think it better is represented here in the Berean Bible that I've learned to be content regardless of circumstances. Boy, that's a hard one to do, isn't it? You know, I think as our country uh, moves farther and farther away from the Great Depression from World War II, the people who went through those things and so appreciated life and the opportunity to live, and they got by with so much less than we do today. Not, not a harangue. I just see it as a fact as we, we look at that. It's tough sometimes to be content because every day we're being screamed at the things that we deserve, that we ought to have, that you need to provide for yourself. And when you look at it that way, you're often reminded of the things you don't have. And yet Paul said, I look at all the things I have. I learned to be contented. I believe there's a difference between contentment and satisfaction. Because God is walking us through this temporary life, reminding us that this isn't the best. The best is yet to come. We're, we should strive, in essence, to be content no matter what goes on in our lives. Very tough to do sometimes. But we're never to be satisfied, I believe Paul is saying in this world. Because whatever our circumstances, whether it be prosperous or adverse, satisfaction for us will only come when we are resurrected in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said to us, that he endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. There's nothing more difficult in the flesh that we could do. He went through that because he saw beyond that realm, there was something else awaiting. Life's experiences oftentimes tend to humble us. And humility is something Jesus said when Pastor Jerome was speaking last week and he was talking about what Jesus has done for us and that he is the vine and we're the branches that the connections he gives to us and allows us to be connected to the Godhead. Uh, the one statement in Philippians where it says he emptied himself of his divinity, he poured out his godlike essence. Uh, if you look at that word in Greek, it means he condescended is the way we would say it today. He came down to our level to lift us up to God's level. And he understands it because he's the only one who was God and became man and then went from man back to God and he wants to carry us with him to that ultimate place. But he did that because it says he humbled himself. Humility is what connects us to God when we need him. And we may not even see it completely. There's an interesting word in Hebrew. It's called uh, avana, A-V-A-N-A-H. 
And it is a word translated specifically as humility. But one one scholar said probably the best way to define that word and translate it into English is this. To occupy your God-given space in this world. Does that help a little bit? Maybe it's still a little bit ethereal, a little bit hard to get your brain wrapped around. In other words, God places us. He allows us to live in this life. And he does it because he wants us to acquire his nature, which we don't have until he gives it to us. And humility is what, in essence, Jesus demonstrated to us when he became a man. There are four occurrences. I'm going to read the first three. Proverbs 15 and verse 33. It says, before honor comes humility. That's the new American standard. The King James says, before honor, before honor can come is humility. Jesus voluntarily condescended and became a man for us. Proverbs 18 and verse 12. Humility goes before honor. Before honor is humility. King James says, as well as Young's literal translation. And then it says in uh, Proverbs 22, verse 4, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. But I often find, isn't it interesting, that most of what our society holds up as being more valuable than anything else is power and control, being in charge, having wealth. Those those are antithetical to what God tells us is important. The power will be given to us, and it doesn't come from us or this world. It comes from him. But not lording it over others, that's man's way of doing things, but humbling ourselves under the hand of God and letting him direct things. So God's kingdom and man's world are very different, and yet we're constantly, constantly being pulled and tugged and told that, Don't be a servant. Don't be humble. Put yourself in charge. Be over other people. It's not the message Jesus brought to his his disciples, his, his 12 leaders that he was preparing in their training. Back to 1 Kings, chapter 12, verse 24. I'll read the whole context of it. God was speaking to Israel. He was preparing to give them a huge victory. And he said, don't go up. You shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to your house. In other words, he's saying, don't do it the way you think you ought to, because I've got something else in store. Because, he said, for this thing is from me. That's where this devotion came out of. But you see, throughout God's word, everything he tells us is that he is working in our lives because he has an ultimate eternal purpose that he's preparing us for. Interestingly, Israel didn't often do it right. Oftentimes they disregarded what God told them, but it says they hearkened therefore to the, to the word of the Lord and they returned according to what God had said. Because back to the song we sang, God is always working. He's working even when we don't see it. He's working because he's up to something. When we look at the state of our world, our nation, and we see the struggles, we we see the things that we wish were different. And yet we know when we pray that we say, but thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. 
Because we know man doesn't have the answers. Satisfaction. No, God says contentment. Romans 8, 27 and 28. And I was smiling to myself because I didn't know till I looked on church planner this morning, the songs they were going to sing. And this was one of my core, core verses I wanted to use, Romans 8, 28, where it says, all things work together for good. And they were singing up here. You know, God's always working, even when we don't know it, even when we don't see it. God's word doesn't tell us everything that happens is good. But God clearly does tell us everything will work out for the good if we truly trust and rely upon him. He who searches our hearts, who's that? Obviously, it's God. He knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. There are times in your life and in mine when we get down to pray and we can't even figure out what to pray for because it doesn't make sense. God, I'm in a place, I don't know what's happening. I don't understand it. I don't see the end yet. But we pray and we say, God, this is yours. I know that only you can handle this. We know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. It says God works all things together. It may start out very, very badly. And yet, if we have a mindset of saying, but this thing is from him, from God, because he loves us, he will care for us. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is nigh, near, unto them that are of a broken heart and save such as be of contrite spirit. That word contrite, I love that in the Bible. It means to humble yourself enough to say, God, I don't understand, but I know you do. And I know you hold it and you will take care of it. Psalm 37, I'm getting now to the end. This is the last part that I wanted uh, to cover says in verse 7 of Psalm 37, rest in the Lord, rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Don't, do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. And yet, it's so easy to look at someone else and think, oh, they've got it so easy. They don't struggle in this part of life like I do. They're not struggling with this or having to deal with that. And the reality is God's got all of that, but he's holding us in his hands. Last part of my sermon that I wanted to share, and I think I shared part of this in another message, and that's fine because it's very powerful. And it reminds us of what God is up to and what God will do on our behalf. It's Psalm 37 and verse 5. It says, Commit your way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And we all have read that probably many, many times. And it's comforting of itself. And yet sometimes as we read through the scriptures, they, they tend to be uh, just repeated over and over again. It's almost like rote. It's almost like a rote prayer. Oh, yeah, I'm going to commit to God. I'm going to trust him. Oh, yeah, he'll bring it to pass. Okay, well, God, let me give you my list now. Uh, this is what I'd like you to fix. This is what I need. Would you please straighten this out? Would you please? And in a sense, that's what we're doing. 
But this verse says so much more because when you deconstruct it, when you look at it, what it meant in the original language in the Hebrew, and I didn't see this until I read a devotion many years ago, but it's really changed the way I look at this whole concept of, number one, committing to God, and number two, trusting him. Because this thing, you fill in the blank. Whatever thing you're dealing with right now, and God's whispering probably to you. And you might think a little bit, yeah, no, this thing God's not going to fix yet. Or God may never fix it for me. This thing is for me. I believe God says that to each one of us. But this wonderful verse, Psalm 37, verse 5, from the Young's literal translation, if we tried to make the Hebrews say it better in English, it says, roll upon Jehovah thy way. And I, I like when I did some word study a number of years ago, if you make it the most literal, it's roll your way over onto, okay? Doesn't matter what you want, what I want. If we roll it over and say, God, I can't fix this. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. I've tried and it's not changing. Now I'm going to give it to you, Okay. That's not a bad thing when we come to that point and we're ready to do that. Roll upon Jehovah thy way. Trust upon him. And back to the song we sang, and he worketh. That verse calls attention to this fact that God is always working on our behalf. But sometimes he waits until we're ready to release it into his hands. Ever done that? I'm sure nobody here has ever done that. Oh, there are a number of things that I tried to fix. And I thought I was making an admirable effort. And I got farther and farther behind. And finally, God says, wait a minute. Let, let me take care of this. Do you really want to hand it over to me? Roll your way, whatever it might be, over onto Jehovah. Trust in him. And he worketh better Good old King James. He worketh. It means he is working. He will always be working because he loves you so much. He's doing that on your behalf. I want to conclude then with a another devotional. It was kind of a prayer actually by Laura Barter Snow. And she said this, and it will be part of my prayer here at the end. Some of my greatest workers, she said, are those shut out from active service that they may learn to wield the weapon of all, prayer. This day I place in your hand this pot of holy oil. Make use of it free, my child. Let every circumstance that arises, every word that pains you, every interruption that would make you impatient, every revelation of your weakness, he anointed you, you with it. The sting will go as you learn to see him in all things. This thing is from me. The Savior said as he bent low, he kissed my brow. For one who loves you thus has led, just rest in me, be patient now. Your Father knows you have need of this. Though, why perchance you cannot see, grieve not for things you seem to miss. The thing I send it is best for thee. Then looking through my tears, I plead, Dear Lord, forgive, I did not know. T'will not be hard since thou dost tread each path 
before me here below, and for my good this thing must be. His grace sufficient for each test, so still I'll sing whatever be, God's way for me is always best. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given Jesus Christ to pay the penalty that cut us off from you. And now you welcome us into your eternal family. We thank you for the gift of forgiveness. We thank you for the redemption and the sanctification that comes through Christ. Help us all to praise and thank you for this wonderful day of Pentecost that we have joined your family and now are empowered going forward for all eternity. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.